Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guest is Fernando Palomo of ESPN. A quick reminder, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review. And we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Onward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our guest today is Fernando Palomo of ESPN. Uh, He is one of my favorite broadcasters out there, uh, focusing on the Champions League. He's doing some Copa del Rey. You may also know his voice from the EA Sports FIFA video game. Fernando, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Grant. It's a great pleasure. Uh, Big fan of yours. Lots to talk about here. Um, But I want to start with Champions League because I am going through UEFA Champions League withdrawal. Uh, it's been a difficult couple of months without having it. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting started again soon here in mid February. And for you, what are a couple of the biggest storylines heading into the knockout rounds of champions league? Well, don't we all get withdrawal from the champions league? (laughs) Once the draw hits in and then we realize we've, we're analyzing a couple of games that, will definitely change by the time th- those games are played. Because if we think about it, and take, it, take for example, a Barcelona's Napoli matchup mm-hmm. in the round 16. What a different analysis is it, it is now than it was a couple of months back when the draw came about. Napoli was in disarray. They, were, they did not know where they were going. Not that they have a clear direction right now under Gattuso, but definitely we never thought Barcelona would be without the same coach that took him into mm-hmm. the round of 16 that had him winning the group stage. Not that there wasn't anything uh, wrong with, with Valverde. And definitely the, the route that Barcelona were taking was not pleasing the crowd at all. And And a change was needed. I don't know if the timing of the change was the correct one, but now Barcelona are without their, their coach. They're bringing in a new guy that has never coached in Champions League. They're, they don't have their starting center forward in Luis Suarez, nor do they have who their new coach was expecting to come and replace him in Ousmane Dembélé. So the whole scenario changes. I don't know if it makes Barcelona less of a favorite or, or, or Napoli more of a candidate, but definitely we're analyzing something totally different than what than, uh, than what we did a couple of months back. And in that same with that same example, I can do the same with every other game. Real Madrid had a better team right now than they were three months back. And they've they got Manchester top. City. And and can we say the same thing about Manchester City as well? Right. Are, are, have they improved? Or are they a lesser team than they were three months back? So, yes, we do get withdrawal and we sometimes uh, think, oh, I wish I would have said something differently back then. But you know what? We can't help it. That's what we analyzed then. And the scenarios in soccer change so much that in two months we're talking a completely different ballgame. Now, I am glad I didn't make my picks when the draw came out uh, because I think I might have some different picks today. Another matchup that stands out to me is uh, Dortmund PSG. 
And we now have this rule change from a year or two ago where if you're Erling Holland and played for Salzburg in the group stage in the past, you wouldn't have been able to play for Dortmund in the knockout stage, but that has now changed and Erling Holland can play for Dortmund against PSG. How much do you think that changes his addition for how we look at this matchup? Well, we can just see how quickly he has adapted to to Borussia Dortmund and what quick of an impact as well he's making in the Bundesliga. The guy can't stop scoring, even yeah. if he wanted to. He comes off the bench, he scores. He, he starts a game, well, he takes about 18 minutes to score when he starts a game. Oh, I mean, people are already saying he's on a downfall, but <laughs> hey, Dortmund are, are a better team with him on, on the field. They are most. Uh, he's definitely uh, impacted the game just as much as Paco Alcázar did a couple of months back as well when he came on around and and started scoring game after game. But Holland is is he provides so much more to the game an aerial attack which we he we have certainly seen at Salzburg and at Dortmund. He can play with his feet. The guy would be a headache for for the PSG defense. I mean, I, I'm I'm truly thinking Thiago Silva and Marquinhos right now must be having just headaches about facing this guy in in the knockout stage and and again with with my previous answer I can say the same thing with this game. I don't know if I see Dortmund a, an underdog in this matchup as I did see it in December. Yeah. Uh, another team that seems like they've been the best team in Europe is Liverpool. Uh, so far this season, they're having an incredible run in the Premier League, uh, 22 points ahead as we speak right now. And they're the defending UEFA Champions League winner. How Should they be the favorite? How hard is it going to be for Liverpool to do this again? Well, it's it's so hard for anybody to do it that we underestimate what Real Madrid did over three seasons. Yeah. I mean, it hadn't been done since then, since uh, Milan with Arrico Sacchi did it in, in a totally different format as well. And uh, it's so hard that only they have done it. And I don't know if they can do it again. Uh, just think of the way that they make the teams make it into the finals, regardless of their names. There's always a, a, a luck factor that has to be mixed in there mm-hmm. to to understand why they made it. There's a decision that maybe a refereeing decision or a VAR decision that, that took Manchester City out of the running last year, for example. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have made it into the final. They probably would have would have not lost against the Ajax or maybe Ajax would have made it in. I mean, it's just in the end, it just comes down to millimeters that decide the game. A decision here and there, a, a ball that decides, you know, to bounce a, a bit to the left instead of a bit to the right. So Liverpool have to account to, for all of those. And then play even better football than they've been playing so far in the Premier League. I see them vulnerable. I see there's a sense of vulnerability in them, in the back especially, that if a team can have enough luck in the beginning of the game, they can really rattle them. We saw we saw it happening in the group stage against Salzburg, for example, until they, they actually came back right. from, from in down and, and ended up winning that game. But they are a team that can be rattled. It's just... Uh, coming in at the right time, you know, and, and, and in hopes of a great season as well, because imagine what great of a story would that be if they end up running away with the Premier League, which they already do, and, and then end, end up winning the, the the European title. We're talking about one of the best 
seasons ever yeah. in the history of the game. They, Liverpool does have Atletico Madrid in the round of 16, which is always a tough team to play. So uh, curious to see how Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool approach that. In terms of uh, who you think besides Liverpool would be the most likely team to win at this point, what would you say? Well, it's so easy to pick Real Madrid right now, Grant, because they they know not only have they come up with a formation that a model of play that suits their squad with playing five midfielders with Benzema, a lone attacker in, up front, that for that model of play, Zidane has so many options mm-hmm. that it's just a matter of picking the right players to counterattack whatever the other team poses up front, that I see them having a lot of options to to make it through. But again, the first roadblock is Manchester City. Yeah. And and you can have a, the best players, but Manchester City have the best coach. Yeah, man. Yeah. He can he can definitely, in a chess game, outdo Zidane in the first couple of moves. No doubt. Wouldn't it be incredible, though, if Zidane... Um... I, he, obviously, he's won uh, several Champions Leagues already as the Real Madrid manager. If he were able to get them back to winning again, that would be that would be stunning to me. Um, I think he's doing just as much as he had done in the past. In, in in that sense, he got the titles in the past. But I think for the game, mm-hmm. we're seeing more of a coach in this season than we saw in the previous seasons of Zidane under at Real Madrid. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about Copa del Rey. You're doing some Copa del Rey stuff for ESPN+. Plus. Uh, there were some changes made, weren't there, in the way that the Copa del Rey, uh, the format works this season. Do you feel like that's helping the tournament? I do believe it is. I, I think it, it's it was overdue to have a, a change in the format of the Copa del Rey. I think any cup tournament that is played with an, uh, a home and away format, it's over. It's outdated. It's too much. If, if, if yeah. it was ever dated, I think it's just overdoing the calendar for the teams and the players and for the fans themselves. They know that there's a first leg to be played and and the, the of very little importance as well when the difference in teams, in, in quality, in team quality can be absurd. You know, imagine right. Real Madrid playing a home and away against a third division team in Spain. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars in, in budget difference. So in that sense, the first matchup in those home and away series was always a forgotten game. It's, it's okay. It's always going to be decided in the, in the second leg. Now it takes that factor away and teams have to field their best or close to the best uh, starting 11 they can to compete against the hungry, uh, attention-starving third division teams that might in one of those you know lucky days end up surprising and we've seen a lot of surprises Sevilla which is a, a cup driven team is out of the tournament mm-hmm. Atletico de Madrid is out of the tournament and and I think and, and well Barcelona were taken to the last minutes basically against uh, a lowly side Ibiza yeah. who had a better DJ in the stadium than they had <laughs> players on the field so in, in that sense uh, yeah, I do. I, I do get excited about the tournament because anything can happen in one game. Yeah. Now, I, I wish every cup tournament would go to this just uh, single elimination games, uh, lower seeded team hosting. Uh, I, I would like to see that more often. Um, moving on to North America, the, probably the biggest signing ahead of the MLS season is Javier Chicharito Hernandez for LA Galaxy coming over from Sevilla. 
MLS teams have wanted Chicharito for a long time. He's 31 years old. Now he goes to L.A. Um, you've been a little critical, Fernando, yeah. at, at, at times here. Why? Because I, I do believe that um, Chicharito has, has his best years are past him. Mm-hmm. And and uh, his attention is now on grabbing attention, not if it comes on the soccer field, great. But you have to put in a lot of work if you're a player with his characteristics. I guess his his football requires him to be at his game and and for the game to be 100% of his attention, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen in Chicharito over the past couple of years. And I think the end result of that is the fact that he hasn't stuck in Europe in teams like West Ham or Sevilla. So I think, yes, they are making a big impact at LA Galaxy in bringing a player like him. But I think he is past his prime, not saying that he cannot regain his prime, but he is in the city and, and under a lot of distractions now that I don't see a, I don't see him coming back at it. I think he's more of a, a motivational speaker than a center forward that he used to be. Do you think his days are done with the Mexican national team? Well, from what has happened and what happened a, over in, in a series of friendlies matches over in the U.S. that saw him and Layun get get a, a, a Mexican team official in trouble for arranging whatever they, that it was that they arranged. I, I don't see him coming back. I don't see his willingness to come back either to the team there. Interesting. I see I see Raul Jimenez being, even if you were to put, if you had a choice as a coach, I see Raul Jimenez being a much better fit for the national team than, than Chicharito can be right now, even at his best. Uh, we are seeing... Uh, more Liga MX players coming to MLS. Obviously, Chicharito's coming from Sevilla, uh, and we're seeing Mexican stars like Carlos Vela and LAFC. Um, but it seems like this offseason for MLS, uh, they've gone after more Liga MX players. Uh, teams around the league have. Is is that a good thing? Is that going to... Do you think that will move the needle in terms of the interest in MLS this season in the U.S.? I think it will. Grant, if you think about it, the, the Pizarro moved to Miami. I don't know if that's finalized or not, but it's in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Vela, you have Chicharito, and players are, it's not only MLS teams going after Mexican players, it's Mexican players believing that they have a better future for themselves oh. in Liga, in, in MLS, than they do at Liga MX. And that's, that's just, it, it speaks volume to the to the way that the league is organized, the way it's structured, and and the benefits it provides to players, where as well, where it's it's more attractive to play the game at whatever stage of their careers. Because now we see players at, at at any stage pretty much making the move. It's not it's not just you know the the old about to retired guys coming over to the league. Although Chicharito might say he's he's one of them, but you also see guys with with talent and up and coming talent deciding to come to. To MLS, you know, same thing could be say about Antuna, who decided to come to to Liga MX instead mm-hmm. of sticking it around at, at the Galaxy, right? Yeah, we're also seeing some non-Mexican players coming from Liga MX, like Edison Flores, uh, Lucas Elarayan, uh, Franco Harris coming to Dallas this summer. So uh, it's just an interesting phenomenon, I think, as MLS tries to catch up to Liga MX and we'll see if they can actually MLS can have some success in CONCACAF Champions League this year coming up um, what do you want to see from MLS to to raise the stature of the league in the next year or two? 
you brought it up just now when you said about a better result in the in CONCACAF league and in order to do that they need to change the calendar that hmm. MLS needs to go around and and switch everything up so that they can play from August to to May I remember asking commissioner Gardner a question in the at the Rose Bowl a long time ago and stating that there's one of the reasons that they didn't switch the calendar is because they couldn't have teams playing in the winter in the US well you can have enough teams in the south where you can really go out of your way to make the calendar work so that you play most you know north teams play in the south most of the time in the winter and and you arrange it that way and then you bring in you know instead of the heat in the south you bring them up to the to the north of the end of the of the season or the end of the, or the beginning of the year i think it's you can work around it and in order for teams to be competitive they need to be in a competitive portion of the year when they come into the tournament and they are not Liga MLS teams are not in their competitive portion of the year when they're going to play in the round of 16 at the Champions League. So in order to to be competitive again, you need to be rolling already. Your your car needs to be moving. Your engine needs to be uh, hot. You know, you can't go play in a tournament like that and expect a great result and then get a ticket to the World Club Cup if your engine is cold and just started. I'd be very curious to see, like, would you like to see an apertura and a clausura in MLS like we see in Mexico? I do believe it provides for a lot of drama to see a playoff type format defining or deciding who wins a tournament. It does not decide who's the best team or who's the better team. I think the the long season tournaments like in Europe, even though you might bring an, an example like the one we just having in the Premier League where you're saying, okay, the league is decided in, in February with three months in, in three months to go. Yeah, but it wasn't the case last year. And you can certainly make a statement that City was a better team over 38 right. match right. days. Right. And you will make a statement that, that Liverpool are the better team over 38 match days. But now you can say also if City plays second, well, City were the second best team. Right, and in 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 Liga MX in playoffs, for example, you can see a team qualify in eighth spot right. and still get a shot to win the title. So winning the title is not synonymous to being the best team. And at the end of the year, when I see the list of champions, champions to me is it it's relevant to being the best. And yeah, you, you have a lot of luck involved in winning tournaments in playoff format. Yeah, we see that in MLS as well with the playoff system. Um, how? It's exciting. I don't know if it's if it's fair when it comes to, <laughs> you know, pr- giving the teams the the argument that they are the best. Well, LAFC would certainly contend they were the best team in MLS last year, and they didn't win the MLS Cup. Seattle did. So, um, in terms of the U.S. men's national team and where it stands now compared to Mexico, how far ahead do you think is Mexico uh, of the U.S. right now? How do we uh, how do we phrase it in terms of what <laughs> if they were to play right now I think that if they were to play a seven game series I think the I think Mexico would win four to one yeah you know it, I think that's that's a, a fair assessment of the difference there exists right now in 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 terms of both national teams yeah the there is a lot more. There's a lot more players on the pool, I think, of quality, of national team quality in Mexico yeah. than there are in the U.S. And and it comes from from having a coach that has that knows what 
what he wants on the field. Right. You might say, no, there's, you know, so many U.S. players playing abroad. There's so many U.S. players, you know, up and coming in the MLS and and so on and so forth. But the up and coming players haven't ha- haven't been tested in big competition. Right. You know, Mexican players have at least over the last decade, they have faced tough under 17 tournaments and they know what it is to play like in conditions like that. And that, I think, is what sets uh, national teams apart from each other. I come from El Salvador, for example, where in, in U-17s, you have U-17 tournaments in, in CONCACAF, and El Salvador's teams are competitive to the point where, you know, you might lose just as much as you do up in the national team, right? But the difference is it's minimal. It's, it's, it's very little difference. And then... When you take those that same team and you put it up to the U-20s, where the Mexican national team or the U.S. national team have played over 100 times in the two years that span that generation, the Salvadorian's national team in U-20 might have played 20 games. Okay. So you have 80 games difference in that sense. So when you put a national team like the one this, this Mexican national team generation that played the U-17 World Cup final in Brazil, they know what it is to play against the demons of confronting a home side with the with the crowd for them and the whole nation pretty much watching that game they know what it is like to face that scenario to be put in that scenario yeah and they will know how to act accordingly in the years to come because they have already seen it and the u.s has, has not provided their youth system the opportunity to see those scenarios right um we should mention, by the way, El Salvador has not been in the hex for a little while, which starts later this year uh, for World Cup qualifying. But now that it's based on the top six in the FIFA rankings, El Salvador is in a position to be in the hex. What happened? Well, I was hoping you didn't ask that question because I don't know. <laughs> it, it's got to be the coefficient that, that or the variables that, that uh, figure out the algorithm that makes up the ranking. But El Salvador is there, so I'm not going to complain about I'm not going to complain about it even though I would uh, think there's a not say majority but a lot of, of my compatriots will probably say, you know what, much uh, I'd rather not see El Salvador in the hex because we're going to get clobbered, but I'd rather <laughs> see El Salvador play against the best competition there is because not not saying that that's what we deserve, but again, coming back from my previous answer, I think competition can only make you better. And playing in those big scenarios, it's it's going to improve whatever generation is it it is that we put on the on the field to play those those games, and and we're there, so I'm not going to complain. Again, we're sixth. I hope we stick in that position. And and how do we move up or down from that position? Is the scheduling of games coming up? Mm-hmm. If you schedule games that will you know hinder your ranking. Well, then you stand a chance of losing the position, which is what happened to Canada. Right. Canada beat the U.S., and we thought, oh, my, they are gone. We're not going to see them again. We're out of the top six. And then they lose to the U.S., and they lose ground. They lose so much ground that they can't even make it up by beating huh. Bermuda twice, <laughs> but losing to Iceland. <laughs> right? So they schedule a game, and I'm grabbing my head, not thinking, what are the Canada soccer people thinking? Yeah. They schedule a game against Iceland, which is, they're higher ranked. So if you lose that game, you stand to lose points, right? So they lost points. El Salvador had a game scheduled against Iceland. You know what happened? El Salvador lost. Why doesn't that reflect on the ranking? Because there's some sense of intelligence that came on the 
management of the El Salvador Federation that stated at one point, wow, if we lose this game, we stand to lose points. So what did they call the game? They called the game a training match. <laughs> so it does not count towards the ranking. So I didn't know you could do that. It's going to be the world leading nation in playing training matches from now until <laughs> the end of the rankings. I'm going to call all my work a training match now and just say, you know, don't take me seriously. It's just a training match. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that's, you know what's going to happen, Grant? I'm going to be quick on this one. Remember when national teams used to play clubs? Yeah, right? I, so, I do actually. Yeah. The U.S. national team played like Parma back in the 90s or something. The Marlboro Cup. Excuse the, uh, the uh, advertising. The, well, that, you know, cigarette brand cup that used to be held in Miami or the U.S. Cup that used to be held in Miami in the early 90s brought yeah. a lot of Brazilian national teams over. And, 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 you know, teams were national teams were happy to play those games because you were playing a cohesive unit that had been playing together for a long time and might give you a better test. Yeah. And, and now I think these are going to become popular again because they're not going to count against the ranking. So if you want to if you want to salvage your position in the ranking, you don't take risks in playing other national teams that might beat you. Yeah, it's unfortunate you can game the system in terms of the FIFA rankings, which matter a heck of a lot now because if Canada's outside the top six, they would have to play a separate tournament the winner of which against all the other CONCACAF teams would get a chance then to to play into the qualifying teams for World Cup. But that's just a really difficult way to go. It's a mess. Yeah. Um, well, it is always a absolute pleasure speaking to you, Fernando Palomo. Thanks so much for joining the show. Grant, thanks for, so much for having me again. And, and I always enjoy the conversation. Don't make it too long until we talk last time. Sounds good, my friend. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Fernando Palomo, as well as producer Harry Swartout, and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review. And we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. See you next time.